0: Welcome back to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. In this episode, Pastor Harris is going to introduce the third impediment of personal success to us. But first, let's take a quick review. The first impediment was that of having a negative self-image, and he taught us the importance of developing an authentic idea of who we really are, which is a son or daughter of God. The second is that of self-pity, and he taught us the importance of keeping ourselves out of that devastating abyss that even some of the greatest people that have ever lived have fallen into. In this episode, Pastor Harris will focus on the third impediment, the one he identifies as stinking thinking. In America today, this stinking thinking is a plague. To illustrate how stinking thinking can be overcome, he will appeal to one of the great men of the Old Testament, a man whose name was Joshua Ben Nun the central figure of the Old Testament book, focused upon him. According to the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Joshua, he was the assistant to the great man Moses, and succeeded Moses as the leader of Israel after Moses died. Joshua's Hebrew name at birth was Hoshea, and he was from the tribe of Ephraim. It was Moses who named him Joshua, according to Numbers 13.16. His name was shortened to Yeshua in Nehemiah 8.17. According to the scriptures, He was born in Egypt prior to the Exodus. Joshua was destined to become one of the twelve spies sent out by Moses to explore the land of Canaan. He was also charged by Moses to select and command a military group for Israel's first battle following the Exodus. He ascended Mount Sinai with Moses when Moses received the Ten Commandments. And after the death of Moses, he replaced the great man and led the Israelites to the conquest of Canaan. He personally allotted the land to the various tribes. This is a man who would never surrender to stinking thinking, and Pastor Harris is going to use this man as his example for today's podcast message. So let's go ahead and jump into the third teaching of this Six Impediments to Personal Success series, which Pastor Harris has titled, The Dilemma of Stinking Thinking.
1: I want to begin this morning by assuring you of one thing, my life has not gone the way I expected it to go. When I was a young man, I've told you this before. As a 14 and 15 year old, I had tremendous dreams and aspirations. You see, as I've told you, like I said on several occasions, more than anything else in my life, I wanted to be a surgeon. I really did. I dreamed of the day when I would be Dr. Harris, like my grandfather. So I decided that I'd chart my course toward a medical career but I even set out on the road towards such a career but I hadn't gone very far up that road until certain impediments began to arise for example when I shared with my parents the direction I wanted to take in life they immediately threw cold water on the whole scheme they made it clear to me that they couldn't afford to send me to Tyler Junior College much less send me to some medical school here there yonder and remember, in 1958, when I graduated from high school, there were no Pell Grants, no government loans. It was simply pay-as-you-go. In fact, in 1958, my father's salary was $100 a week. So the dream of going to medical school was a fantasy to me. And there were other impediments. Throughout my years as a student, I'd been unable to retain to remain at one school longer than two years. My father had a hard time remaining in pastors very long. And so every second year, I had to go to another school, and this constant moving set me back academically. You know, one school system I'd moved to would be ahead of the one I came from. One would be behind. It seemed like my, my whole life was just in constant flux. And by the time I reached my junior and senior year in high school, my scholastic record was so poor that I wouldn't qualify for an academic scholarship. So that route was out for me as well. And no question existed that I would ever be able to be a medical school candidate. If Even if I could afford to be, my grades were not good enough to permit it. So by the age of 17, I'd given up on my dream. I... See that there was no way that this was ever going to happen for me. I was not going to be a doctor. And perhaps you've had similar lifetime experiences. Perhaps your life hasn't been what you expected it to be either. But if that is your story, if your life hasn't gone, according to Hoyle, you don't need to despair. What you are right now is not the final word. Believe me, it is never too late to begin our lives again. Now, I don't care if you're 8 years old or you're 80. There's always an opportunity for a fresh start. And one of the best illustrations of how this can work can be seen in our text for today, Joshua 1, 1 1-9. And it reads as follows. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Don't you love those words? I hope maybe somebody can write that down about me. Nick Harris, the servant of the Lord. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, that is, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How would you like to have the Lord speak those words to you? Wouldn't that be awesome? You see, 40 years earlier, this nation had been birthed in a bright blaze of glory, remember? It started out its national existence full of hopes and aspirations, and why not? When their history began, they had been miraculously delivered from 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. God had actually divided a sea for them, and miraculously provided for them food and water in the most outrageous desert place. Every man, woman, and child among them knew beyond a shadow of a death that in a few short weeks, they would be settling in their own land because God had promised it. God had told them that the land was theirs. And that land was a place known as Canaan. And there in that land they would build their homes, they would establish their businesses. They would raise their children. But in an oasis in the Sinai desert called Kadesh Barnea, their dreams would suddenly be dashed. Instead of entering into the land God had promised to give them, they found themselves bogged down in the wasteland of the Sinai Peninsula. And for the next four long decades, they would remain in that wilderness, going absolutely nowhere, achieving absolutely nothing. You see, on the surface, if you looked at this nation, in this wilderness place, they appeared to have no future at all. But then one day, Opportunity knocked for a second time. And I don't care where you are. Opportunity can be just around the corner. It can be just a knock away. And all of a sudden, these people that seemed so desperate only months before found themselves standing at the doorstep of the land they had dreamed of occupying 40 years earlier. Now, let me make this clear. They could not roll the clock back 40 years. See, that's what a lot of us want to do. We, we want to turn the clock back and be able to start again. That, that won't happen. That doesn't happen. But what they could do is take advantage of the new opportunity that had suddenly presented itself to them out of nowhere. You know what they found? They found themselves standing at the heights of the mountains of Moab. And for the second time, they had to make a decision. Would they seize the moment? Would this be their carpe diem moment? Would they claim their dream? Or would they go back to what had become comfortable to them? And by this, I'm talking about to that parched desert in the waterless wasteland. I can tell you now that the new leader of this nation, this man Joshua Benoon, was fully aware of how critical this moment was. And here is another thing of which he was aware. He was aware that if his people were ever going to claim their dreams, they were going to have to change their thinking. They were going to have to change their thinking. They were going to have to flush their minds of backward ideas. The stinking thinking of the past had to go. So what did he do? I love this. He called a convocation. Now before we dismiss his convocation as ancient history, let me say this. What Joshua would say to his people at this convocation is as relevant to you and to me today as it was to Israel 3,500 years ago. His words had the potential to open up a brand new chapter, In the lives of his people. And those words can do the same thing for you. And they can do the same thing for me. Before I tell you what Joshua had to say. Let me say this first. Back in the 1970's. A cliche went around. And I for one bought into it. See I'm just dumb enough. I'll buy in to certain cliches. But I am so glad that I bought into this cliché. It changed my thinking. And that change in my thinking changed my life. It made a different person out of me. Now let me tell you what that cliché was. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Now what this said to me was this. Every morning when I swung my legs out of the bed... I had the opportunity to make a fresh start. (laughs) And basically, that is what Joshua told Israel at the great convocation. Only he said it this way. Listen, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. Our old cliche was today is. But his cliche was tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. He knew that this new nation was standing at a door. And on the other side of this door was the realization of their dreams. But the brilliant leader knew that just standing there at the door, if he just went to the door and stood, it wouldn't be enough. It's not enough just to approach the door. He knew that for them to achieve their dreams, they would have to step through no matter what it might cost them. Now to do this, to step through that door between dreaming and achieving would require the development of three attitudes, all of which have been the story of my life. They're on the screen. Look at this. The first is this. A determination to be mentally strong. A determination to be mentally strong. Second, a determination to be physically courageous. And thirdly, A determination to be confident and self-assured. Can you look at those again? Look at that. A a determination to be mentally strong, to be physically courageous, and to be confident and self-assured. Now, I believe with all my heart that those three attitudes must be in place before anyone ever realizes their dreams. We must have strength, courage, and confidence. So I want to examine these three attitudes one at a time. Now, in the first place, when Joshua tells his people to be strong, he uses an awesome Hebrew word. Now, you say, Pastor, I don't know Hebrew. It's okay. You can learn this one. I give you permission to learn this word. The word is chazak. Did you hear what I said? Khatzak. Now, can you say chazak? He didn't do very good. Now, this word has absolutely nothing to do with physical prowess. Okay? Now, he says be strong, but he doesn't mean strong in terms of muscular and those things. The word means to bind something. Now, it actually refers to what we would call self-restraint. He was telling his people, if you want to achieve greatness, have a little self-restraint. <laughs> now, I talked about Kotzak in a sermon many, many years ago. I had a young associate at that time. None of you have ever heard of him. Craig Rochelle. And Craig, I'll never forget, came to my office when it was over. He said, what was that Hebrew word that you used this morning? I said, "Hatzak." He said, now how did you say that? I said, hotzok. Mm-hmm. He said, boy, I like the way that sounds. Mm-hmm. So he took a little notebook out. And he wrote, said, how do you spell it? So he spells it. Well, to my shock and chagrin, about four years ago, he published a book. Guess what the title was? Hazak. (laughs) Did he give me any proceeds from that book? No. (laughs) Is that okay? Yes. But isn't it wonderful that somebody can see and grasp? And if you want to talk about greatness, that kid has got it, right? I say kid, he's probably, Chris, what is he now, 50? He's He's a grandpa, yeah. But he's grabbed a hold. He grabbed a hold of something. And that's all I want you to do. Grab hold of that thought. I, I want you so badly to hang on to what God has for you. And we need self-restraint. So what, what Joshua was saying to his people was this. When you go after your dream, be willing to show some self-control. Don't just go pig wild and ape crazy. Now, come on, that was pretty good. Now, let me tell you what I find interesting about all of this. Self-control is the ninth manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, one way you will know it is that you will begin to demonstrate some self-restraint. Now, Joshua knew self-control was crucial. His people were about to enter a land where they had never been before, so they could not change that. I mean, they couldn't know the land just out of nothing, so they couldn't charge in like a bunch of wild men. They had to show some self-restraint. They should always move forward, but they should do that so in a controlled fashion. Now, at first, this thought troubles me. Was Joshua demonstrating a lack of faith here? He didn't say, okay guys, sick them, go get them, go wild, go crazy, just take over. No, he wasn't showing a lack of faith. Did he not believe that God would provide for and protect his people? Yes, he believed that he would provide for them. He urged restraint because he understood human nature. Remember that. Joshua knew the human tendency to chase dreams by throwing caution to the wind. Okay? So, what the great leader was encouraging his people to do was allow their past to guide them. He knew exactly what I have had to learn over my lifetime. You, have, you see, I have discovered that all too many people, in pursuit of their dreams will often throw out everything from the past. They think of these things as being burdensome, but that's a dangerous thing to do. Just look around us today. Look at our nation. Our social order today is in chaos, and there is a reason why this is the case, and the reason is this. We modern Americans have very little respect for the values that other Americans have cherished for the past 300 years. We live in a strangely free world. Regulations are disintegrating. Respect for government and governors is missing. For good or for ill, the fences of self-acceptable behavior are crumbling, and there's very little self-restraint left in our society. Nothing is static anymore. And in this changing world, what's happening People are becoming more and more cynical. You know, as I sat at my desk this week working on this sermon, I reached this point and I stopped. And I started to pray. And the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me. Nick, so many people today are apt to say, because it is old, it is bad, simply because it's old. And they're also apt to say, because it is new, it is good. Simply because it's new. And then God spoke by saying, it ain't necessarily so. Here's my point. In this world of unaccustomed freedom, strangely lacking in self-restraint, we need the virtue of self-control. We need that ninth... Fruit of the spirit to be manifested in us you see beloved there isn't enough unrest in the world so I will remind you as Joshua reminded his people to remember the lessons of the wilderness hold fast to the good things you've learned in the past so that you don't lose your balance he said to his people Joshua did watch your step you haven't passed this way before There are things that you need to be aware of. In other words, be determined to be mentally strong. And by that, I mean be determined to maintain self-control. That was the first thing. The second thing he said to them was this. Be courageous. Now, Joshua had first urged caution, but he balanced that call for caution by calling for courage. In other words, he was saying to his people, be ready to do battle. Be physically prepared. And there was a reason they should be this way, and the reason was represented by Joshua himself. You see, he looked across the gathering, and as he watched, these words came from his mouth Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Do you see? Even though Joshua encouraged his people to proceed with caution, he also encouraged them to proceed with expectations. You'll never have more than you expect. Expect great things to happen. You see, Joshua told them why. He said to him, people, let me tell you about our God. Our God is greater than any problem you will ever face. When you reach Canaan. I'll never forget the first time Chris ever invited me to her home. I had very cravenly and in great fear and trepidation had asked her for a date. I couldn't imagine my associate pastor had told me I was no fun anymore. And so I asked him how I could be fun trying to raise a nine-year-old boy and um, taking him to every wrestling practice every football practice every baseball practice he had to be good at everything and so I had to go to all of that and in three-fourths of it I did all the coaching and so um when I went into Chris's house for the first time she'd invited me for dinner she cooked you remember what she cooked? do you remember? chicken fried steak We were sitting at the table, and I looked up, and on the side of the refrigerator was a big yellow sign. Now, I knew about this woman that she had been widowed when she was only 19 years old, left with a two-month-old baby. I knew that life had not been easy for Crystal. Maybe some of you don't know that. I looked at that refrigerator, and on that refrigerator was a sign that said, God is greater than any problem you've got. I thought to myself, if a woman that could be widowed at 19 can claim that promise, I can claim it too, because I'll guarantee you at that time in my life, I was about half done. That's so great. That's so great. God is greater than any problem you've got. Larry said to me after the sermon, I believe it was at the sermon last week, that he had told his children as they were growing up, if money can solve your problem, you don't have a problem. Well, there are other things in life that you face, that are so tough that you just don't know how you're going to do it. And one of those things, I would think, is being wedded when you're 19. You know, it occurred to me as I wrote this sermon, this was the first thing Jesus tried to teach his disciples when he fed the 5,000, do you remember? As Jesus held those five loaves and two small fishes in his hands, you remember what one of his disciples said to him? <laughs> of human beings. What they say? Lord, we have five loaves of two small fishes, but what are these among so many? You, Yeah, this is a great land, Lord, that you're sending us into, but how do we know we can take it? Well, sometimes you just have to step out and say, we're going to dare God. Now, what these guys were really asking Jesus, what this one disciple is asking Jesus is, Master, are you adequate to meet the needs of a multitude this large? That's really the question. And in moments, Jesus proved his adequacy. You remember what he did? The scripture in Greek is so interesting. It said that he took the bread and the fishes in his hand. Now, our Bible say, and looking up to heaven... Like he raised his eyes, but that's not what the Greek says. The Greek uses the word ace. It says, and looking into heaven. He looked to see his father's provision, and when he looked, he saw more bread and more fishes than anyone could ever imagine. And he began to break the loaves, and God began to multiply them. And what does he have? He has 12 basketfuls left over. God is more than enough. He can achieve the unthinkable. Listen to of it. With Christ in us, we have all the provisions we need to be victorious in life. Do you know that you're more than a conqueror? Did you know that? So, as we begin the first day of the rest of our lives, we must be courageous. And you know we have every reason to be courageous. I can tell you what Joshua told his people. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Well, I'm here to tell you that today God will begin to do wonders among you if you'll claim what he wants to have you have. God wants you to have the best. Why live beneath our resources when God is greater than any problem we've got? Now, then Joshua gives his final instructions to his people. He tells them to be confident. As I would say it today, Joshua called for his people to walk by faith and not by sight. You say, Pastor, I can't believe what you're saying this morning because my problems are too big. Oh, that's when you have to walk by faith. Don't be overcome by your problems. God's greater than any problem you've got. Now, let me say this about Joshua. Joshua was a realist. He knew that when Israel had finally entered the land of their dreams, they'd be challenged, even assaulted. You know, Canaan was an odd place. There were great walled cities. There were enormous chariot forces. There was terrible weaponry. There were warriors of every variety. They were even, dare I say it, giants. But guess what? Israel's God was up to the challenge. The one who created the universe by speaking words could easily overcome walled cities. Jericho was no challenge for God, nor was Hazor or Gazer or any of the other places that Joshua had to overcome. As a matter of fact, buddy, in the book that you gave me, there's a place in Israel that was called Shimron. Joshua fought a battle there against the king of Shimron. It was a walled city. There were people who said you you can't overcome this. Did he? Oh yeah. Did he ever doubt it? Oh no. Did other people doubt it? Oh yes. But sometimes we have to go against the flow. Now Let me say this. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Let me say again what I said earlier. Say, Pastor, this is a sermon for young people. No, it's not. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. That's what I said. There's always something new. Something exciting. New adventures. New heights to be climbed. New burdens to be lifted. Tomorrow, Joshua said to his people, the Lord will do mighty things. And he'll do mighty things for you as well. One of the greatest impediments to our success in life is we don't think this way. We surrender ourselves to an I can't attitude, instead of an I can attitude. You are more than a conqueror, why? Because someone is strengthening you even when you don't know it. You're more than a conqueror through Christ, who strengthens you. So I want you to go with that promise. God is bigger than any problem you have that's my teaching for today
0: thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe if you want to help spread the word please give us a 5 star review and tell your friends to subscribe too we are available on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen don't forget to connect with Aerial Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Tharaka, Kenya with each one feed one, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit aerialministries.com slash give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Tharaka mission, you can visit aerialministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with each one feed one and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.